Recovery Talks, a podcast from Changing Lives. Welcome everyone to the Recovery Talks podcast. My name is Andy Ryan. I'm Head of Recovery and Addiction Services for Changing Lives. This is a podcast where people get together to share their thoughts, ideas and stories of recovery and what this means to them. With us on today's Recovery Talks podcast, we're talking to Una Malone, Commissioning Manager for North Tyneside Council, and John Liddell, Senior Public Health Manager, Northumberland County Council. I'm really looking forward to today's podcast um, for many reasons. I'm, I'm sitting in a room for the second time only recording this, um, so I can see both Una and John, which is a, is a strange experience for me. So I'm looking forward to this. I suppose uh, my job today is to say as little as possible um, and let John and Una talk. So without further ado, we'll introduce today's guests. So Una, would you like to say a bit about yourself and who you are? Uh, yes, hello, I'm Una, Una Man. I uh, work for North Townside Council and I'm the commissioner for all of the public health services and that includes the uh, drug and alcohol services. Been doing, um, I was a death coordinator very many years ago, so I've been in the field quite a long time. Um, Thank you, and um, and thank you so much for being here today. I know um, like diaries are tight, so this is it's brilliant that, um, that you could make it, and it's great to meet you as well. It's great to meet you. Yeah, uh, John, would you like to say something about yourself? Hi, Andy. So, um, yeah, I'm John Liddell. I'm the senior public health manager with uh, the North Dublin County Council public health team. I lead on uh, drugs and alcohol, and also sexual health, actually. I've been with the council about a year and a half, and previous to that, I was with the PHE and also with the National Treatment Agency. Thanks, John. And um, yeah, it's great to see you again. I know because we met years ago, years ago, so it's great to see you. I'm, I'm looking forward to today. Um, and I suppose, and the risk is, and I know we've spoken before this podcast, is to, to, to put you both on the spot, but there's that kind of wealth of knowledge as well, which is fantastic um, and great just to kind of listen to. Um, so hopefully we can bring some of that that out today. Um, so the first question on the podcasts, as always, I think we've asked everyone this, is a bit of a frame of reference question because we often talk about recovery and I think, you know, uh, recovery gets used as a, as, as a prefix, as a, as a term, as, a, um, as an expressive um, form in the sector to talk about people, but it's always good to, to get your take on that and um, think about what recovery means to you. So just to start this off, really, uh, when we talk about recovery, um, and thinking about the work that you do, what 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 does that mean to you? Is there anything particular that stands out? I think it's a tricky word, isn't it, to define, as like, like you say, because um, it means different things to different people. Um, but for me, it's it, it's like a positive word, isn't it? It's a word that's um, it, it, it's change, it's hope, it's honesty, mm. it's all of that sort of thing. Um, and so. Recovery to me is what recovery means to the person that, that we're putting these services in place for. Yeah. So um, once a person starts to think about, I want to be referred, I, I found out about NTRP, I want to go there, that's when recovery starts. That, that, that's it really, mm. isn't it? And then there's the sort of you know, the journey kind of thing. But once they're thinking about it and they're in treatment, that, that, that's recovery mm. because they're starting to have a little bit of hope and change and self-love, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so for me, that's that's a positive, positive way to, yeah, yeah. to, to look at it. I, I love that, uh, yeah, because throughout the years, I love what you said there about hope, because I think when I think about my own kind of personal experience, that was definitely, I was lacking hope, mm. but, you know, an aspiration and possibility, really. So it's, yeah, 
it's, yeah, it's fantastic to hear you talk about just that framework and the individual side of this as well. So it's not a prescriptive, you know, we've got away somewhere, we've devised it, we've got the data, this is recovery, we've, we've managed to condense it. So it's like, actually, it's really that individual process. Um, so yeah, absolutely. John? I think, um, well, I was thinking about this on the drive up actually, just this, this particular question, and it's, um, what we is that we're all, you know, we're all kind of products of where we come from and, and, and the kind of experiences that we've had. And my, my entry into this sector was working for a, a treatment provider um, called uh, Phoenix House, Phoenix Coochers now. <clears throat> and I don't remember the term recovery being used that often, to be honest. And yet that organisation was certainly delivering something that we would now understand to be recovery. Absolutely. And, and quite, a, quite a good and effective version of it. This is about 20 years ago now, so the term recovery was used occasionally. It was used to, I think, describe someone who had made positive changes in their lives. It was often associated with abstinence, but not always. Mm. Um, and I think part of me is always hung on to that. When someone says the word, that's what enters, enters my head, because that was my introduction to it. I think we've seen the term become almost a, almost a brand. I think that, that people will often take ownership of uh, for the right reasons. Um, and certainly myself and Una were around in the system when um, I think the term became weaponized. I think it's the term I would use when it started appearing in drug strategies. Mm. It started appearing in contracts and specifications. People's job titles started having recovery in them. Um, an organization actually changed its name to a national organization changed it to include the word recovery. In, in, in its name. I, I personally feel we maybe lost something at, at that point because it became something that um, people really wanted to attach some, some a huge amount of meaning to this term. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think its definition, I, you know, I agree completely with what I was talking about, its definition is often down to the individual Absolutely. and how they, how they perceive it. I think that's the, that's the obvious place where, where we need to be. But I think as a what I would add, add to your understanding is I think as as a commissioner, and this is something Una and I, you know, it, it, part of our job is to attach some a particular meaning to it, because if we put the word in a spec, a specification or a contract, without any understanding or context around it, it, it becomes meaningless. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to put some some additional sort of terminology around it. And I think for us, we would probably come at it more from the point of view of if we want a service to encourage recovery or help create it or help build it, we'll probably talk about people making meaningful changes in their lives, positive changes, mm. maybe abstinence, um, but certainly moving on from, from a place where, where they're currently are. Yeah. yeah. I totally agree with, uh, with what John said about the actual word itself yeah. um, and, and how it's sort of developed, evolved over over um, a lot of years, because when we first came into the into the, the, the system, John's right, it wasn't there. Just yeah. it, although it's always been a word, and so it's trying to it's trying to make it fit, isn't it, in in, in our world? Yeah. And it, it means different things to um to, to different people. Yeah. And yes, because we have a drug and alcohol treatment and recovery service. We, we all we all did what um what, what John's described there, you know, started to own it. Yeah. Try to, to own it and put a label on it. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It was it was I mean it was definitely a little bit of a watershed moment, I think, in the sector when it when it did 
when it was kind of thrust upon us, rightly or wrongly, you couldn't, you know, you absolutely couldn't ignore it. And I think the vast majority of people took it for, took it in a positive sense. And it was, you know, we can design services that actually support people to, to have a journey and complete that journey, as opposed to just fulfilling one small part of it and then, you know, you're on your own with it. I think services became far more on the back of that, a lot more expansive. I think as well, and to be honest, I think one of the most important things for me is, is that it helped recognise work and put value on work that was actually already taking place. Huge amounts of organisations and individuals were doing fantastic amounts of work. With people and people themselves were making fantastic amounts of progress. And it just helped recognise that a little bit better. So I don't think one day the sector just suddenly woke up and decided to become a recovery oriented sector or treatment system. It, it, it already was, largely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it was almost like a language on catch-up, really. So. I, I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's really interesting listening to you both talk there because, and on previous podcasts as well, but a lot of people that I bump into and, and talk to, and particularly having worked in treatment services for, for, for a long time as well, they would absolutely echo what you were saying there, that the part of this process was, was about making meaning, making sense and meaningful change and you know that's where they were at. So when when at times people talked about recovery, actually, it, it was it, it, like you say, it's a great maybe a common language that we can all you know gravitate towards. But but for people, I've heard that far more that that's what it's about. It was understanding the relationship, particularly when I think about drug and alcohol treatment, because because interestingly for me, I think the first time I came across recovery in in a, a wider sense was probably mental health. I think that was the first time I came across like recovery college or recovery. In that in that format, but um, but people talk about actually making sense of meaning of their relationship with substances, where that maybe emerged from, but also a bit of the next step to, well, how do I do something different? And that's as we probably all know, sitting in this room today, that's that's as unique as people are. You know, we we talk about CBT approaches, we talk about practical approaches, different things work work for different people, but. If you're in that making meaning space, it, what I often hear from teams and people is like, we're, there, we're, we're in the right place here. We're not kind of, we're not in that space of um, impasse or stuckness. It's like if we're creeping towards, well, there's a bit of curiosity here about why I do what I do and what I want to do. And I think a brilliant, you know, something potentially can happen differently for people in that space. So, yeah, um, which probably lends itself, I think, as you were saying there, Una, about the journey or, or you know this is that that trajectory for people and as i can uh, um, uh, testify to um I, th I think the phrase i often use is it wasn't a smooth landing it was a very bumpy landing for me it wasn't a oh i've decided everything's going to be different and then i would reach out for help and help was there and everything and it was uh well i'll see you again soon i'll be back i'll you know i'll see you again soon um and i think that's it's really interesting as well that that is part of recovery without a doubt, um, and we've done a lot of work over the years supporting people to understand that sometimes it is two steps back, one step forward, and that's not a negative thing. This is a difficult process, you know, and, and really helping people to understand that um, because I think that's, it's a tricky psychological process as well for people to understand. So um, before I move on then, is that okay? Is that, are we okay with that? Um, is there anything else you'd say, um, particularly about where we're at with recovery in general, or maybe the next question can 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 take us into that? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. I think just just to without wanting to kind of bludgeon the point home too much, I think we've all talked about definitions and, and different interpretations of it. 
And I think it's it's important that we're all comfortable with that. I think largely we are. There may be a definition that exists, say, within a council, within a council document, um, that might not particularly sit well with some frontline, you know, really kind of close up working community type project. But actually, fundamentally, they all talk about the same thing. Um, so, you know, let, let's. I think I think I, I do sometimes. Sometimes see debates on this on, on social media. Sometimes think, come on, let, let's 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 give each, each other a little bit of a, an easier time on this. They can, they can, don't you? Because in you know in the in, in the world of recovery, it's usually associated with getting better from something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And so you don't really want to go down that route. But that's the the the, the understanding that people that you want to convince um, have in their own head about what recovery is. Yeah. So I do think, and you know, it's like we're here all in it together, sort of thing. That we all just have to be kinder to each other. Yeah. Around things like, you know, how you define stuff and, and, and words that you say sometimes. Yeah, because across it all is is, and we've had this discussion within changing lives as well about health and well-being. It's health and well-being about someone that knocks on the door tomorrow and says, "Look, I'm going to need a bit of help with this." It's health and well-being for us. As a team that work together, it's, it really is that that whole holistic, humanistic approach, isn't it? Um, yeah. So as, as the next question then is is really, um, I suppose, shaping the conversation. Sitting with you here today, you're involved in that kind of process of commissioning treatment services, and you've probably got histories of, of different aspects of this, and and seeing you know seeing things happen and change and and stay the same, you know, and and the learning from that, and and throughout all of that process as well. It's, it's the, there's a real challenge, isn't there? Kind of staying attuned to like local need and influences and people's voices and kind of what's happening. So there's, there's loads happening. And when I was thinking about this today, there's like 101 questions in my head. But I think we probably need 15 hours on a podcast, you know, because it's it's not that. So I, I think rather than ask a precise question, where I arrived at was just again in that manner and, and the, the, I suppose the manner of the podcast is just to say. Well, can you share anything really um, about your roles in doing this? Um, what are the successful components? What are the kind of good things that you've seen? And and always with that proviso of where are we going next? Is there a next or is there actually no, this is, you know, the, these are the constants that we need to be thinking about. And I'm and as I'm saying it now, I'm thinking that's, that's still, even though I think I've reduced it down and it's quite an open ended question, that's still a massive question. Isn't it? We're sitting there asking that. So I don't, I don't know. If that is answerable, I, I'm not sure. I, you know, I think we're back to the same thing that we talked about recovery. <laughs> commissioning is another strange kind of beast, if you like. So you know, if you when you fill forms in on, on online or something, and they say what's your occupation, there's never anything that says you know you're you're a commissioning manager or you're a commissioning this and that. Just kind of doesn't exist. But it, I mean, it, it it's a, essentially it's just. You know, we have to understand the need that's in our area, and you know, that's by people talking to us or us talking to other people. It's looking at the dreaded data, it's you know, it's, it's a whole load of things. Understanding that, kind of assessing what, what's required in our place, mm. and then designing a service that will meet that need or hopefully meet that need, mm. um, and then go out and buy it. So, you know, you've got the shops, you go out to the market, and you say, you know, this is what this is what we have to. This is what we've been told in our area is needed. You know, can you provide it? But you know, the market's not great, is it? It's not like a, it's just a mass mm -hmm. market. You and I, John, we, we may end up 
trying to buy the same service at the same time and you know there's not very many providers out there so that brings a challenge with that and then once we've got that in place we monitor it you know we bring you all in quarterly and we talk to you and we say you know how's this going how's that going and so it's a cycle and it goes around and around and around all the time and it sort of never stops really um and so you know that that in a nutshell is commissioning and if you can say it in five minutes but it's actually, it's really, yeah. you know, it, it goes on and on and on. And, and there's, there's something in there for me about, um, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this, uh, Luna, but like for years when I, when, I, when I used to manage oak trees, we would talk like in our supervision groups or in our case groups, we would talk about the relationship. Mm-hmm. It was always so critical was the relationship mm-hmm. as well. Um, we all knew what to do and we've got a manual and we've got a structure and we've got, uh, you know, like in a, in an oak trees project there's like workshops and the structures there's a whole process that someone will get involved in as they go through and and what it kept coming back to was about the importance of the relationship as well and the transparency and the um and i i, I think that's that's it's been an amazing gift for me as well i suppose is the bit that i want to share is being able to sit with commissioners because i think there's so much learning to be had as well um and at times it's, it can be quite easy to maybe pull up the drawbridge and say i'll do my bit you do your, but actually, it, it can't work like that. It it, it has to be a, a, a two way thing. The relationship is is absolutely crucial, um, and so you, you know, it, it, it don't box people off yeah. really in a sense because it just makes life more difficult to to do that. Um, and and I, I hope that I've always tried to be that open with um, with services that I. Commissioned, you know, you feel a bit like Batman. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a really funny kind of title to have, in, in, you know, in, in a way as well. Um, uh, I think I prefer draft coordinators and, you know, those sorts of things that we have with the MTA than, than we have now. But it sounds very formal, doesn't it? Yeah. Commissioning manager sounds yeah. really um, scary, in, in, you know, in a way. But you're right, the relationship between who our, who our providers are mm. is absolutely crucial. Because the commission in itself isn't just an event, is it? It's the no, whole it's process. Expensive. It's like these meetings that we have and we keep talking to each other. And even, it's like even today as we met before this, is I, I'm, I'm listening to you and you're kind of saying, because this is what's happening here and this is what's happening there. And I'm saying, oh, I'm involved in this. And I know we were talking about the ICS earlier. And just, it's those kind of conversations as well where not only can we do, I suppose, what we set out to do, then we can join the dots, can't we, and say, well, hang on, why wouldn't we be connected with this, this and this? And Because surely that's better for that person that walks through the door, if we're more connected, kind of... Oh, definitely. Well, you know, when you're assessing need and, and, and understanding the need, you have to talk to your wider partners. You know, you, yeah, there's, there's people in the housing field, in employment, and, you know, so many other areas in the local authority just, and then in, in health, that have an input into understanding what the need is. Mm. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a massive um, uh, process to do that. Yeah. Um, and I don't think you ever totally understand the need because it, it does, it, it does change. Yeah. Um, so that, and that goes on. That you know, it, it goes around the cycle. Yeah. It's not you do this job and then you do that and then you do that and then you do that. It just keeps going. Yeah. So it's really flexible. So, yeah. so John, do you think you and I have covered that up or? What, what do you reckon? <laughs> no, it's, uh, there's some really, some really good points there, and 
I think, I mean, it, it's, it, I'm glad, Ooh, I'm glad you started with the, the bit about it being, this is a business transaction because that, that's absolutely right. And it's, you know, we can't escape from that. And, I, you know, it, it would be nice if everyone was doing it for the love um, and we didn't need paperwork and targets and things like that. But it, it, there's no escape. It's, it's a, there's a transactional process mm -hmm. here. What, what, you know, as I said, we're, we're purchasing something. There's some money available. That money has to be accounted for. We're purchasing, we're purchasing a service. That service gets delivered. But whilst that's an important part of it, we don't get hung up on that. We don't, we don't let that actually drive the service, or we shouldn't do anyway. And I think, as, as you guys have both touched on already, actually, you know, service in this sector is very organic. It, 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 it develops and it changes. And I think where you know we always have the starting point of that there's a kind of a, an agreement of, of what we think should be done. That should be based on the needs assessment and so on. You know, there's, there's an agreement about this is what we think should be delivered. But actually, we're not just buying service; we're buying expertise, mm. and and that you know we would certainly expect that expertise to come back to us and say, okay, we've been delivering now for six months, eight months, or whatever. What we found is this. And this is where we feel the direction of service needs to be. Now, for me, a good commissioner will always, will absolutely encourage that and absolutely be engaged in that, largely because it makes your job easier. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, it's why would you why would you pay money for people who have got enormous amounts of skills and expertise and not listen to them? So, I've I've only been in the, the commissioning role for with the council for about a year and a half now, uh, but obviously previous to that because we've been in the sector for so long. I've been around commissioning a long time, but actually doing it is it, it, it is a slightly strange thing. It's we have we have touched on um, you know data and PCTs where you almost had kind of a, you know in some cases quite legendary teams who you know were quite were real mavericks actually and, and did did all, actually create some really good stuff as well. It, it's different now. This, this process to follow in in our council. I, I'm not actually a commissioner. We've, we've got a commissioning team who commission all kinds of services. They do the kind of the checks and balances on that side. Yeah. I'm more the person who helps design the service and then works with the service to just kind of be sure that it's it's doing what it, it needs to do and also that it's 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 creating new and you know interesting areas of, of work. So I think that the best approach, probably the only approach to be honest, you, you couldn't tell yourself you were doing this job well unless you were fully engaged in what that service was doing, had a real buy into what it was doing and really wanted that service to talk to you on a regular basis. I think you know, we, we were discussing, um, I think before we were, we were recording actually about how that contact with the service often works. I think the, the, the best people who I know in the sector who create similar roles to me are the people who have that open dialogue. Um, it's not about sitting down and going through a list of what you've done and what you haven't done. It's a real kind of um, Quite a safe place, actually, where people are. You know, I would, I would, I would always encourage people to say first thing that comes into their head, in the, because that could actually be absolute gold dust. You know, it yeah. probably, probably is something quite good. Don't think about stuff too much, because we'll probably lose it. Then tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what what's been going on in the service. What happened today? What happened yesterday? That's what that's what really keep you talking about. So something really organic and authentic and. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it's you know, look, don't get us wrong. I can't. 
you can't just be like that. You have to, you know, there's, there's things you have to do, there's reports that have to be written, yeah. there's, there's justification, but often Una and I will take the brunt of that. We don't have to put that all on the service. And I would, I would much rather people in the service were doing what they're good at mm-hmm. and not getting too bogged down with, with kind of council work. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was just going to mention about council work because obviously with council work and public health, which who now have the public health grant that supports all of the, the, uh, the drug treatment um, services around the country, that's in the local authority. Wasn't always in the local authority. It was often in different places. But because it's in the local authority, you have the political governance that you need to always do it to, to bear in mind. So you have councillors um, and some areas that take a great interest, and in, in other areas that don't. Some uh, I, we have councillors in North Town South who've worked in the system, who've been probation officers, who who who, and, and so who do have an interest in drug and alcohol treatment. We have others who are more interested in. Um, just, just general public health and alcohol, which is a, you know, obviously a wider uh, group of people with, you know, drug users are, tend to be more complex, don't they, when you're when you sort of um, trying to put a service in place. So you, you have to take that into account as well. And sometimes council timetables and company report up here or whatever are really, really like long and detailed and everything has to be ticked and, you know, everybody has to have seen the report and, so there's, there's that big process as well, which is a big change when we when we came into local authorities um, in in 2013. Uh, so it is transactional. There is political um, governance that you have to bear in mind. There's a set of rules that govern um, procurement. You can't just decide you're going to do this. European rules and all sorts of stuff. Mm. That, so you have to operate within within constraints, uh, and you have to not break the law whilst you're doing things. At the same time, having that own dialogue and and and, and, and realizing that the service that you come to people. So it's a real balancing of you know there's, there's there's lots of and they're not all boxes to tick, but there's some practical. I think as you both were saying, there's some practical stuff that needs doing. There's a relational side to this as well that needs nurturing. That's about con- connection and staying connected and understanding, and not just with the treatment provider. There's obviously sitting amongst other colleagues within a local authority there are there are other emerging needs that you think that kind of influences some of the stuff i'm doing so and, and part of that 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 question that we looked at was was about the the, the next but and, and correct me if i'm wrong on this because listening to you both here what it felt like was to me it felt like well we're, we're kind of doing the next but what we have to do is make sure we stay quite organic and flexible because that's what permits the next so it's not a case of some kind of great paradigm shift, let's go away in a dark room and write things up completely different, let's change the system. Actually, it's built from where we're at and the strengths that we've got. And the way we do that is through this organic relationship of saying, well, that was then, but this is now. And the way we know this is now is because we keep this dialogue open. We have the, we have the data telling us what it's telling us. We have, but we have to stay there and, and not be frightened to be in that place as well of, of maybe that edge of learning. Um, am I? No, I think you're right. I think despite the radical changes that happen in this in, in this world, and, and there have been, you know, didn't really have DAFs who then disappeared and then went into public health. We had DIP that then disappeared and went somewhere else. We've got now um, health and care bill just to you know to, to, to bring it down to the to the to the parliament. 
going through, which will change things significantly or has the potential to change things significantly. And we kind of have to absorb those radical changes. But actually, the drug treatment system underneath all of that mm. has just kind of evolved into a mature system that can just cope with it. Mm. And, and that, that's quite interesting, really, because we see all those radical changes, but the people who are providing the services, a lot of them have been around a long time and involved, and it, it's now quite a, um, I can't word, like a mature system mm. that's there that will feel the shops every now and again, but will still deliver. Mm. Um, so I think... Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I totally agree with that. And I think, I think when, <clears throat> in terms of, you know, when things change, I think when, when the, the move from the responsibility for, for drug and alcohol treatment moved into public health. So, you know, we each had more experience of that. Mine was moving from a, an NHS organisation, the NTA that I worked for, the National Treatment Agency, got moved into public health England. And you're suddenly surrounded by this complete different culture, a complete different language. People were talking about prevention and were, were kind of challenging what, what the kind of what prevention offer was within, within the treatment system. Um, why everything seemed to be aimed a, a bit further down the line in, in terms of people's lives, why that was, why there wasn't more work done early on. And there was a, a shaky few years, to be honest, in, in that, I think, for, for you know, people in, who were working in, in kind of ruinerised position, certainly services, it was a period of uncertainty. I think one of the good things that came out of that, though, is that there was a far more recognition of the wider contribution that treatment systems could make and did make. Mm. You know, certainly not just about let's have a chat about drugs, let's have a chat about alcohol. You know, I always go back to chat to someone who worked in a, worked in a service a long time ago, a, a conversation I had with them. And they said, um, I actually don't know much about drugs and alcohol, to be honest, because we don't tend to talk about very much. We talk a lot about families, mm. a lot about relationships, a lot about housing some stuff around mental health. We don't actually often talk about drugs and alcohol, and that's always stayed with me. Mm. And I think that the, the public kind of health approach recognised just the huge range of value that services were providing. Um, it wasn't just about addiction. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I think that's, you know, I know if you talk to the guys in, in Northumberland or North Tyneside, you've got people with big caseloads, Firefighting, doing a huge amount of work, and that—that's it. That's perhaps in a separate podcast. Yeah, because that—that that, that would be a, a subject in its own right about just the, the sheer breadth that, that people have to cover. However, I think it's good to have that recognition that mm. services are, you know, a, a many faceted thing. And yeah, that, that's good. And and it's—I it, mean, I've definitely noticed, and it might just be like because of the. It might just be because of the echo chambers I sit in, so I have to be careful with this. But more and more people talking about, like, um, I think, because there's a lot of talk about trauma at the minute, I think that's potentially becoming another language that might miss actually what's underneath that. Um, but with that, I think a lot of people are starting to understand maybe the use of drugs and alcohol to excessive levels as an activity. So what's happening for people then? What, what happens underneath all of that? And I, I always remember from mutual aid meetings where I think it was um, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous where they used to talk, they used to read like preambles out. And they used, in one of the meetings, they used to say, what was alcohol doing for me that I couldn't do for myself? And they used it as a whole topic of conversation where people would talk about 
well, I used to drink when this, or I used to think that it did this for me. Used to, and there was this whole conversation about this relationship that had been built with substances. Because behind all of that was individual people's stories of saying, you know, for me to be okay in this world, this is what I thought I needed to do. This is how I... And, and I think that conversation is really interesting because when that starts to happen, uh, and I've, I've, I've shared this in meetings, and people start to apply that logic wider and they go, hang on a minute, I do that with work. I do that with shopping. I do that with food. I do that with chocolate. I do that with... And it's like people start to go, yeah, it is about... It is about emotional resilience. It is about regulation. It is about being a person. You know, however, there are consequences and there are immediate consequences because it's interesting, isn't it, that there probably is a conversation about prevention. But the reality is, I think nationally, I don't think we've got to grips with what is as well. So I think there is a conversation about prevention. I don't think we've really understood the depth of maybe dependency in its full effect. Um, beyond probably treatment services as well. We're probably seeing that at the minute in hospitals and stuff. So um, really, I, I think I think it's really interesting to think about that organic nature then and say, the, the, as you were talking there, Runa, about the, the, the treatment system's been maturing almost developmentally, saying, well, we're, you know, we're, this is what we're learning and this is what's happened and this is how we shape. And as long as we can keep doing that. So there's not a fixed point, there's not a gold standard, it's like actually what you need is that malleability, we've got to stay open to what's, what's happening for us at that, and I think both of you have referenced that place-space level as well, so we don't say, well this is treatment, actually it's very different in, in different areas. Um, and I'm aware of time as well, and we're talking on, so um, the, the question I always try to sneak in towards the end um, is around... Uh, that wisdom from your journeys as well and uh, you know if there's anything particularly that that stands out for you I think it's, it, it's fascinating listening to you both because I think and what's been really nice sitting here is obviously from from your perspective you do see stuff that's worked really well and things have changed but you know you know what's happening out there and there are those kind of moments of absolute beauty where you think oh, that's, this is good this is we're, we're, we're making a difference here and we're, we're able to do what we want to do and and without doubt there's difficulty as well so I'm probably sitting in a room with lots of wisdom right now. Um, but that's also caveated with that question of, of, of how do you look after yourselves as well? Um, because I'm sitting here today and you might counter this and say, oh, Andy, you're so wrong. Um, but my projection is without walking in your shoes is it's a, it's a difficult job. It is a difficult job, um, as it is for people working in services, as it is for, you know, and we could reference that and I think sitting with you both here today I, I'm always curious about well-being as well as um, how do you look after your well-being um, and I'm aware that's a very personal question so not necessarily one that always needs to be answered so um, is there any kind of wisdom from your journey that, that you would share or, or things that you, you've seen or <laughs> I, I think just try to be resilient you know and I, I do try to be a little bit resilient you know not to say don't get stressed or but always just remember that you're doing it for people, and that that's that great. That that's a good thing. I've always had a really great team and good people around, because uh, you can't do it on your own. So it's about those relationships at work and also mm. at at home. But um, having good people around you, um, it always helps because you, you can't know everything about everything. Um, it's just not possible, and other people have strengths that you haven't got, and it's just recognizing. Mm that but look look behind i think and see how far you've come because you mentioned before about the you know two steps forward one step back sometimes it's one step forward and two steps back mm -hmm. but just 
have a look behind because you could, you know, come a long way actually from um, the early days when there was nothing really. Um, and, and what we now have in place is, is, is fantastic. But sometimes you don't take the time to, mm. to remember back. So that, that's really, um, for me, is something that I've tried, you know, tried myself. Yeah. We have come a long way. Um, and I, then, I'm terrible at that, Una. I I, yeah, you see, I am terrible at that. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's it. interesting. wisdom from yeah. an old person here. No, yeah. I, it's and interesting that, you say that because I'm sitting there going, terrible at that. Um, yeah, so. And then, you know, I, um, towards the end of my working life, really, so it's coming up to retirement age, but I do still try and keep fit. You know, I know that's yeah. like I do body pump and I do a bit of running and I do all that kind of stuff. And those sorts of things are very, very important just kind of switch off so um that that's that's mm. it for me really just a quick question though you know we talk about the team as well um and i know i think we briefly talked about this before we recorded today the, the idea of going on teams and seeing colleagues as opposed to being back face to face has that shone a light on that value of just being around other people as well physically oh, definitely definitely yeah. yeah i think today has been great to be sitting in a room with two other people um, and we started to come back into work now, and we're being offered a you know hybrid, um, and and I I quite like it. I quite like that. I, I mm. try to start being productive on teams, but if nothing can um, take away from that face to face conversation with someone. Yeah. Um, so yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. John, I think in terms of. In terms of kind of learning and, and, and wisdom, I use that term hesitantly, but uh, <laughs> I think it's I think it's probably what I've what I've what I've learned that's helped me is you used the word earlier, Andy, which was authentic. I think that's important. Mm. Try and you know be honest, be authentic. The stuff you won't know, um, the stuff that you may genuinely actually find quite confusing. This sector, you could be presented with things. Certainly, when talking to someone who has you know, a lot of lived experience. It, it can be, if you're not from that place yourself, mm. it, it can be something that can be quite overwhelming. Don't worry about that. Just be, be honest with yourself, be honest, be honest with them. And I think from an authentic point of view is, it, it's very easy to to do it. I think, um, under COVID, it's not been easy to get out and visit services. But I think under normal circumstances, go out and see the services that you're, you're accountable for. Because you know you helped put them in place. Go out and visit them. Go out and see the staff. Go out and meet the uh, people who access those services. Have a chat with them. Even someone like myself, I'm quite quite introverted, but even I, I can do that. So if I can do it, you know anybody can. Mm. You'll get more learning from that than I think anything else. Actually, um, mm. you know, forget social media, forget reading stuff on the internet, all that kind of thing. That has its purpose. But you've got to go out and get that human connection. They get that, get that authenticity. Mm. Um, it's, it's it's incredibly important. Um, I think in terms of looking after yourself, yeah, it's important. I agree with what Lula says. You know, it's sport activity. I think it's important. Most of us, I suppose, you get a little bit older, that drops off, then you often come back to it later later on in uh, in life. So I think. Um, I'm 50 now, but when I was when I turned 40, I made the decision that I was going to have to get back into some sort of sport. I was going to have to do something, so I, I did. I found something that um, was easy on the knees. My knees were a bit dodgy, so I uh, 
I'd love to say it was an old rugby injury or something like that, but it's not. I'm just wearing out. So I got, I got back at the sport for it. I've stuck with it. It's a lovely way to engage with people. Um, just being outdoors is, is, is really nice. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. It's something that it's completely separate from work. It's a completely separate environment. Um, so I think that's, a, that's a, mm -hmm. a, a nice thing to do. If you're able to do it, I think it's a, it's a, nice, it's yeah. a nice thing to do. And it really echoes, doesn't it? Because sometimes I think we, you know, um, stuff's written, and it's almost like, oh, this, this thing. I remember years ago when we, when there was a lot of talk about mutual aid, and I think, but the principles are, it's that. It's like when I go and play football with my friends, and we've, we've all got this shared common kind of like enjoyment. We all talk to each other. There's, there's a lot of connection. You know, it's really good for mental health and well-being. And that basically was the principle of that. And it, it, it was really interesting listening to you talk there, John, when you talk about being authentic. Because um, I, I today and like in moments of like, how did I become head of recovery and addiction services? What am I doing here? You know, and I, I when I was driving here today to, to meet you both, it's like it's it's so easy for me to put both of you on a pedestal because you do absolutely fabulous jobs and you and it's like, oh my god, am, am I going to be? Am I going to say something wrong to Una or John today? Am I going to? And, and there's still this like almost imposter syndrome in me that that is there. But the best thing I could ever do is just be me, talk, and we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Um, and maybe there's a bit of both in there for me from, from both of you. Is I, I picked up on what you were saying, but maybe I need to look back as well and think, but we're doing okay as well. You know, this is, this is okay for now. So I, I'm curious, can I just, just come in on that way? Because it's, this has been a really interesting conversation we've had today for a lot of reasons. And, and I, I'll, I'll just touch on something I said earlier about just coming into a room and having a conversation. With, with people. I know it's under certain conditions because we're, we're doing the podcast anyway, but it's, it's been really, really nice, actually. Mm -hmm. and, and I think it's, I think there's one of the things I would say just going back to learning is, is that all of us as a sector, think should never be shy about promoting the kind of values and, and culture that we have in this sector, how it's often a, a culture of honesty mm -hmm. and transparency. It's a, it's a culture of, of innovation and it's a culture of, of of care, actually, and I think we should always try and promote that elsewhere in, in our lives. Sometimes, we, you know, you talk about the imposter syndrome and things like that. We, we all think everyone suffers from that to, to degrees. Mm. But sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit for the amount of learning and experience that we have. And certainly, you know, at work, if we're having a, you know, we're in a, we're in a multidisciplinary team, lots of different people, all kinds of skills, doing all kinds of different things. Someone might be talking about certain area of public health work, they might be talking about doing something um, around obesity, for example. Never be shy to say, actually, you know what, what you're talking about, there's a real fundamental connection to what goes on in a drug and alcohol treatment service mm. around connecting with people, some sort of community engagement, some sort of perhaps a psychosocial element to it, some sort of work. You know, don't feel as if, you know, you're not going to dazzle anyone with science because I don't start half the science anyways there's absolutely no chance of that so we're just talking about basic stuff that we do actually benefits other people and it gives this sector i think the, the credit it deserves and actually you know we should be championing what goes on in this sector because it's it, it's absolutely it's phenomenal yeah what, 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 what is achieved often with virtually nothing it is is phenomenal really so if we're not going to champion it nobody is yeah so you know that, that's uh, that's i think that the big bit of learning, I think, I would, I would, I would, want, to, I would want to mention at the end. Yeah, no, that's great, John. Thank you. Um, so really, we're coming to a close now. I don't know if, if you want to say anything, Uni, before we finish, yes. love. Um, yeah. Um, 
So I think all that's left for me to do is thank you both for today's conversation. And I, and I think aside from the recording element of this, I, I, I'd absolutely echo what you're saying. It's been brilliant to sit in the room and have a chat and conversation, um, meet people and, and listen, learn. And I'm sure I'll be processing this throughout the day as well. So um, thank you so much. Um, if, if you've been listening to this podcast and you, you want to know more about the, the services that John and Una have been talking about, or if you've been listening to this thinking, I, I might need a bit of help, or I know someone who might need a bit of help, there's a couple of websites you can go to. They're both um, www.cntw.nhs.uk um, forward slash services. And for North Tyneside Recovery Partnership, um, you want to put in North hyphen Tyneside hyphen recovery hyphen partnership. And for Northumberland um, Recovery Partnership, you want to do the same and put in Northumberland hyphen recovery hyphen partnership. There's lots of information on those websites. There's leaflets you can download uh, and there are numbers where you'll be able to get in touch with someone. Thank you for listening today um, and we'll be back soon with another podcast. Recovery Talks is a podcast by Changing Lives, hosted by Ian Donnelly, Summer Stringer and Andy Ryan, and produced by me, Bridget Hamilton. This is Season 2, and you can find all of our previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify or Anchor FM. To find out more about the work Changing Lives does, you can visit changing-lives.org.uk.